The Live with Squacky podcast is sponsored in part by Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver and Antland Productions. Bonjour tout le monde, ça va? It's another beautiful sunny day and time for another great episode of Live with Squacky. I'm your host, Val Kelly, otherwise known as Squacky Voice. My special guest today is one of the top casting directors in Los Angeles, and she was the keynote speaker at Mavo 2016. Sarah Jane Sherman is a three-time Emmy-nominated casting director, dialogue director, and voiceover coach. She is currently casting Animaniacs and Looney Tunes cartoons for Warner Brothers Animation, casting and voice directing the Cuphead show for Netflix, and Tig and Seek for Cartoon Network. She has also recently worked on two projects for Nickelodeon Animation and five Cartoon Network shorts. Before that, she was Jon Stewart's head of casting for his animated project with HBO. However, the majority of her casting career was at Disney Television Animation, where she spent 12 years learning how to cast an animated series. She was the executive director of casting and talent relations before leaving at the beginning of 2017. She has worked on such hit shows as Big Hero 6, the series, Tangled Ever After, Milo Murphy's Law, Phineas and Ferb, Gravity Falls, and Star vs. the Forces of Evil, just to name a few. Sarah was also a guest speaker at her Mavo 2018 conference, where she led the children's program and was on an animation panel. She co-hosted an animation session with Kari Walgren, too, and I can tell you that it was one of the best sessions I've ever attended. I learned so much, and it was a lot of fun. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today, Sarah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Emmy-nominated casting director, dialogue director, voiceover coach, wife, mom, to now two adorable children. Congratulations, by the way. You're terribly (laughs) busy. How do you find balance with all your different responsibilities? Well, I appreciate that you think that I have balance. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, I don't. I mean, there isn't. Like you said, I have a newborn and then another daughter who's almost five, and I run my own business that requires me to be there all the time. I don't have spare time, and especially because we're trying to operate in a quarantine currently, and everything is twice as difficult, twice as long, twice as hard. So it is not easy nor balanced. But, you know, we're all doing the best we can and really making use of every available minute, trying to find the fun in the little things, whether it's just going for a walk and drawing rainbows along the way, trying to find something fun and exciting to do that. But yeah, we're all trying to do the best we can, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that's all you can do, right, is try to organize your day in a way that makes it efficient with all the different hats that you have to wear. But it seems like you're doing a great job. So (laughs) thank you. I appreciate the outward appearance. (laughs) Inside is a little chaotic. But outwardly, if I could put that out there, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) So you've worked on and continue to cast for some of the most iconic shows out there. Did you always want to be a casting director or when did you decide that that was what you wanted to do? Uh, No, I didn't always want to be a a casting director. And I didn't even know when I was kind of younger, I didn't know that being a casting director for voices for voiceover was even really a thing. I always pictured myself being a producer. And I guess I am in some capacity, but I kind of grew up watching a lot of television. I knew I wanted to work in TV. And I just thought being a producer was the way I was going to go. And then just the way my jobs took me, I just kind of stuck in one career path and, you know, fell into this job. And as you know, I ended up learning how to do casting at Disney television animation and getting the crash course of, okay, who are the top voice actors or what does it mean to be a voice actor and what makes a good voice actor, what makes a good audition, what makes a good performance and just learning on the job 
and ended up spending 12 years there doing that and learning how to be a casting director. And then so when I joined the freelance world, I I felt more prepared. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Oh, my gosh, that must have been such great experience. I was so curious because I wondered, what did you study in school to end up in the position that you're in now? I went to Syracuse and I studied television, radio and film production. So I always knew I'd be behind the scenes in television specifically, but I just didn't know in what capacity. But yeah, I mean, my at the time, my friends all made fun of me like, do you just watch TV in your classes? And it's, I mean, it was a little bit more than that, but essentially, yeah, sure. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting though. That's such a great path that you chose. I always knew it was going to be that path, like from being raised in Maryland. And I just knew I was just counting down the minutes, counting down the time until I could get to Los Angeles. That's so great. I'm glad it worked out for you. What are three things you listen for in auditions that are very important to you when casting characters for a show? First and foremost, I have to make sure they have the right vocal quality for the character that I'm looking for. Then also great acting. You know, a lot of times people just say, oh, the voice of the character, and they don't really think about the acting side of things. So I'm really big on acting. And then lastly, most of the shows that I work on are comedies. So I'm always looking for the funny, looking for people that can make me laugh or try a different take on the line or something unusual or unique that makes me laugh, especially if they can make me laugh out loud. That's even better. So those are probably the three things there, the vocal quality, acting, and then comedy. So you said you don't have a lot of spare time, but if you did have spare time, what would you enjoy doing in your spare time? (laughs) In the current state of things or, you know, assuming a world where we get to roam free? (laughs) Assuming a world where we roam free, yes. I do love going to the movies, sitting in a movie theater, and I don't drink soda that often, but I love getting like a cherry Coke fountain soda and sitting down and watching a movie. That's one of my favorite activities to do. (laughs) I like dancing. I don't get to do that very often anymore, but I used to love taking dance classes and things like that and choreographing and kind of messing around with that. And so now I'm trying to do that more with my daughter and teaching her. She's just at the stage where we can make up routines. She can start to do that. And she started to getting excited about it. So I've been showing her Newsies, which is one of my favorite movies and trying to get her to see that. And she's been watching Descendants and High School Musical and things like that, that have big dance numbers for little kids can watch. And we kind of play around with the choreography. I just taught her the floss. So that was a big deal. (laughs) So we like to play around with that kind of stuff too. That's super fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) What are three goals that you have for yourself to accomplish in 2020? Well, as you know, 2020 has been a tough year. I am an entrepreneur, and I do want to figure out ways that I can grow my business, especially where I don't have to be there for everything like voice acting or, you know, other things like that. You know, you have to be present and be the person doing all the work when I'm coaching or when I'm directing, it has to be me, Sarah front and center being present. So finding other ways that I can grow my business that I don't actually have to be the face of it or have to be somewhere at a particular time. So I've really been playing around with that. Also fine tuning and honing in on my curriculum for my coaching, trying to find what things that I'm responding to and more of what I can teach people that they can do to have great auditions. I'm a strong believer that auditioning is its own skill set. So helping people find the skills to give a great audition and make something that's going to stand out and just fine tuning what I can teach them based off of what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think that's really important because auditioning is what we do 
most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> and booking I mean, is job, just yeah. a yeah, booking is just a positive side effect of it. You know, it's definitely a skill set that people have to continue to hone. So I think it's really great that you're focusing on helping people with their auditions because I think that's really really important. You can have that great acting, but it's are you showcasing it to the best of your ability? You know, I, I kind of equate it to taking the SATs. You can be super smart, but maybe not know how to take the test. Your test taking is a skill of its own. So helping people find that audition magic to really showcase what they already bring to the table. I like this one a lot. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? (laughs) Hmm. I guess, let's see, my superpower. What I really could use, right, is the ability to duplicate myself and be in multiple places at once so I could get more (laughs) accomplished. That's the more practical side. Probably the more fun side, I would say fly would probably be my number one. I like the idea of being above everything to look down and kind of get the big picture on life. I'm a person that gets really stuck in the minutia and kind of stuck in the micro parts of every single day and each minute. So it would really be kind of cool to fly above everything and take in, see the forest through the trees. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with you. That would be awesome to be able to kind of see everything before you have to get to it so you know what's going to maybe happen. (laughs) Yeah, or you kind of see, yeah, just be able to see how things all relate together, the big picture of Earth. You know, it's not just, you know, Earth within the United States, within California, within Glendale, within me, you know, my family kind of before you zone in on the little bits, but kind of see everything as a whole. Yeah. I get a fair amount of auditions that ask for a specific, authentic type of accent, British mostly. If the specs are asking for authentic and I can perform the accent they're asking for, should I do that audition or leave it for someone who's authentically British or whatever they're asking for? Well... That's an interesting question. I think I've got a different answer that, you know, the coach in me has a different answer than the casting director in me. So I would say, you know, the casting director, just to make my life easier, it's great if we just leave it for the authentic Brits to read, just because if they're asking for it, then I don't have to do research to see if you really are British. But then the coach in me says, you know, fool me, slate in your British accent and do your best one and do it so well that they think you're authentically British. I do often look for that character myself and people always say they want authentic because I think bad British accents are so prevalent. Like they're all over the place. You always hear bad British accents. So I think if you can really, really do it and you can do it truly well, I always say sometimes, even if your parents are British or things like that, when people who've grown up listening to that accent, they really just have it ingrained in them, then sure, give it a try. But the casting director me is like, nope, just let it go to someone else. Follow the specs. (laughs) I think a lot of times I skip them, not because I don't think I can do it, but because I know there's so many authentic actual British actors that I think it would be no matter how good my accent might be it might be tough to beat out the authenticity that they're looking for yeah because you always have to remember that your audition is going to be right next to a real British person you know or with someone with a true British accent so you're not auditioning in a vacuum it'd be one thing if it's hey Val while you're in here can you do a British kid or a British woman for us as a secondary role sure and then you're not being compared to anyone you're just doing you know your British accent by itself great sounds great thank you very much. But in a situation where I'm listening to 200 auditions and 199 of them are true Brits, how will yours fare? Unfortunately, it just isn't just yours by itself. It is, like I said, right next to it. And that goes to show people that do young, you know, adults that do young voices as well. If they do a young boy or young girl voice, do they sound like, like those characters by themselves? Yes. But right next to a real 12 year old or right next to a real six year old, how do they sound then? Right. That's really great advice. Thank you. 
You've said before that you don't really deal with a lot of demos because you're usually listening to actual auditions when you're casting. But do you have any advice for what actors should put on their animation demos that would really be impressive to you besides being funny? You know, showing a range of characters, I think, is good. And just making sure the characters that are next to each other have good separation. I think sometimes people put characters that sound too similar next to each other. And so sometimes I'm not sure as the listener, oh, do they fall out of that character and slip into something else? Or is that the same character? They're not able to sustain it. So just making sure that there are different characters next to each other. Be careful about soundalikes on your demo. Like sometimes back when I was at Disney, I used to get all the time demos and they'd be like, check out my Mickey Mouse. And it's, I hear Mickey Mouse every day, all day, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, that better be a, a really good Mickey Mouse before, you know, you don't want it to be off-putting. So making sure you're really putting your best foot forward. And if you're doing soundalikes, it has to be like a really, really great soundalike, especially if you're sending it to a place that has cast that role in the past. Yeah, there's a lot of soundalike auditions out out there. I think it goes through kind of phases of what I get, but I've had a lot lately. It's, it's Yeah, a lot strange. of the shows that I've worked on do look for soundalikes, like Looney Tunes cartoons, you know, that um, I'm doing the casting for. That does have a lot of soundalikes and a lot of soundalikes to characters that Mel Blanc has done and looking for that. So it's kind of, you know, characters of the past that might be coming back or on Animaniacs, we might be looking for more parodies. So then it's not straight soundalike, you know, you don't have to nail it exactly, but parodying uh certain people or certain characters. Casting for mainstream animation still takes place in LA, but now with Netflix and all these other platforms, do you ever cast actors that don't live in LA? It's funny that you mentioned British actors, but I'm currently casting a show that really is looking for an international cast. We got up at 6 a.m. and started callback auditions at 7 for our actors in the UK auditioning, and then we had someone in South Africa and then I had somebody in New Zealand and someone in Australia and then someone in the U.S. So we get several continents while we're doing these callback auditions um, just to find kids with these authentic accents. So, yeah, especially right now with uh, everybody working from home, I don't think it matters as much where you are. Um, yeah. When we go back, we'll see if that sustains and we stay that way. But for now, yeah, auditioning people all over from everywhere. That's really cool. That's exciting. I hope it changes a little bit the ability to be able to book some bigger things from not being in LA, but we'll see what happens. People are getting more used to doing it this way. I mean, it's not perfect by any means, but I think we're getting better at doing it remotely, but it's not perfect. I think it's taken a lot of the fear of, oh my gosh, this person isn't here. What's it going to be like if they record from home? Oh, not great quality or whatever the case is, or the reasons that we didn't do it before. The fears are going away. And as we keep doing it, unfortunately, we'll just get better and better at it. We have more of a chance down the road for that to happen. Yeah. What's the difference between a casting director, a talent agent, and a talent manager? Well, casting director is usually hired by the production, and they are responsible for, in my case, finding the voices for the characters on the show. But obviously, there's live action casting, and you know you can cast a bunch of different types of things. So finding the talent uh, that's actually going to be on the show hired by the production. Then the agent represents the talent, represents you, the actor, and is the person that makes the deals with the casting director or the lawyers to get your actor on the show. And a talent manager might maybe have fewer clients. They're not doing the deals, but maybe they're working really on the day-to-day -day with their talent in helping them develop and getting them seen, maybe working with a publicist to uh, get them in more places and to get them more visible, just kind of working with the actor as a whole a little bit more personally. That's really good to know the difference because it's kind of confusing as an actor to know what all the different roles are on that side of the 
glass, basically. You know, it's a little bit different. Yeah, and it's funny because people always ask me, like, what's a casting agent? And it's funny because I've heard that term, but I've never encountered what a casting agent is. So it's a, you hear like things like that too. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even think that's a thing anymore. Think of more of the casting director on the production side and then your manager and agent representing you to the casting director. Right. What advice would you give to voice actors who are just starting out? If you're interested in animation, you do have to really focus on the acting. You know, I get so many times people come and they want to do voiceover, but they've never taken an acting class in their life or haven't studied acting. I encourage you guys to take an acting class, take a comedy class if you can. Watch cartoons if that's of interest to you, really, so we can have real discussions of performances and you know what you're talking about, you know what your goal is or what you're trying to accomplish. Sometimes I get people like, yeah, cartoons sounded fun. I've never seen a cartoon in my life. You know, it's good if you watch them and know what's out there and what's popular because a lot of times on these breakdowns, they'll also use references. This character is like SpongeBob, like know who SpongeBob is, <laughs> you know, or this character is like Mabel in Gravity Falls or whatever the case. So maybe know who that is. Yeah, I'd say take part in the medium if you can and watch it and take those acting classes for sure. I think that's really important. The acting side of it is essential because you can have a great voice, but if you can't act, I feel like the better actor is always going to book the role, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they're able to bring the performance to life and, you know, bring the character off the page. It's, it's more than just reading the words on the page. You know, you're not selling a card, you're becoming a character and um, you're embodying this character. So those classes really help you to learn to do that. How long does it take you when listening to auditions to know if you want to keep listening or if you should just move on to the next one? Or does that kind of vary depending on what you're casting for? I feel my answer might be discouraging. (laughs) 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 I do not want to get, no, okay. I mean, I know right away if it's the right vocal quality. I mean, you can tell right away. It's like if I'm casting a six-year-old girl and I hear a 40-year-old man read, I know within the first two seconds, it is not the right vocal quality. That's an easy one. And then if it's good acting, I mean, as I have been doing this longer and know the actors more and know and just uh, get able to do my job faster, I can tell in the first five to 10 seconds if I want to keep listening, if it's in the right ballpark. And, you know, sometimes people get so caught up. I have to nail that first line. It's like, yes, you do. But it's like, if you're not the right vocal quality, it doesn't matter how amazing of a performance you give, or that's like kind of the first step. And then I'll keep listening if they have the right vocal quality. And then like we talked about before, if the acting is good, I'll keep listening. And then if they make me laugh, I'll keep listening more. So it's really just, you guys keep me listening with the great choices you make and the great performances you do. But I can tell fairly quickly if it's in the ballpark or if I can just move on. Well, that makes sense. And that's good, too, for you, because otherwise, I mean, I'm sure it already takes you a really long time to listen to everything. But if you're listening to hundreds or thousands of auditions, you want to know within the first few seconds if you have what you need or not, right? Yeah. And especially in a time where people want to do two and three takes, you know, where if I have 400 people read, you know, that could be 800 auditions, you know, if everyone does two. So that immediately my workload has doubled and I have to kind of listen to all those too because I do listen to every single audition that's submitted because I would hate to be like that one I decided nah I don't want to listen to that one and that's my and that's my person so you know I'll click on every link that's sent to me yeah I've been getting a lot of auditions lately that have asked for like do three takes on the first line and then one take on everything else it's kind of strange I've I haven't really seen very much of that before, so I'm wondering if there's like a new trend or something. (laughs) That's interesting. I've never heard of that because for me, I would rather you not do three takes on a line. I just want to hear how it flows. And that's something actually I I teach as well is finding the flow of your audition so it doesn't seem like my line and then you disengage. My other line and then you disengage. (laughs) You know, I want to feel the flow as if you're, you know, in a conversation. So kind of doing something like you're describing would, would break it up for me a little too much. Like I wouldn't get to hear how flow through a scene. 
seen. That's interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet myself. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I was like, oh, what is this? It's the first time in the past maybe week or two that I've seen a couple of auditions at least that have asked for that. And I'm like, oh. Okay. I don't know about maybe, that. <laughs> maybe it's just a way of getting more auditions for less time because you're not getting three whole reads, but just kind of getting a taste and then getting a feel for their acting separately. I don't know. Interesting stuff out there. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to break down a script to understand and dive into the world of a character is particularly important. What words of wisdom can you give to actors about this process? Something that I, I really encourage people to do is strongly, strongly visualize what is happening in the scene as if you were on camera, as if you were on stage. What is your character doing? It's not just sitting like a lump on a chair. You know, you might move around. You might put your head in your hand. You might lean your head back. You might slouch down in your chair. Really having a visual of what your character is doing because that will move around your voice, you know, and help you find movement within the scene. If your character stands up and walks around or or shakes somebody's hand or raises their hands in the air, all of that is going to impact your voice. And if you know exactly what your character is doing, your voice is naturally going to change. You don't have to think of the technical of it. Oh, I want to get high pitch here. Then I want to get loud. Then I want to get soft. If you picture, oh, I'm leaning in and whispering at this point, your voice naturally changes based off of you changing your position and know that you're leaning in at this point or whatever the case is. So really picture what's happening. And then just think about sides as showing all of the different sides of the character. You know, how can you showcase mad and happy and sad and really try to identify what emotion you're trying to convey in each of those lines and making sure your voice does so. Something I was saying earlier is not just picking the voice of the character and then going through all of those lines fairly evenly. It's saying, no, this one is a mad line. There should be a difference. And then this one is sad. Your voice should sound different and showing more of your emotional range and your acting range within the copy. Yeah, that's really important. The emotion and the physicality, I think, is such an important part of an audition and being able to move around. That was something I noticed lately in kind of redoing my studio and building a space that has more space where I can actually move so that I can actually get into character and have the ability to do that physicality. I think that's such an important thing that not everyone really thinks about in their studio space, which is something that people should think about. Is like if you're doing animation and you have to get into a character and you want to be able, it's not like you're rolling around in your studio, but you know what I mean? It's like having the ability to move your arms instead of being cramped into a space like I was before. Yeah, exactly. Or even standing up, you know, I mean, yes, you can certainly record your audition sitting down. And I think even uh, you kind of go through this, this curve of it where you just start out sitting down because you don't know any better. And then you learn to stand up. So like you said, you can use your whole body. And then as you get used to it, it get even better. Then you can sit back down again and use your whole body while you're sitting down once you've learned that skill. But having the ability to stand up when you record, I think even makes a big difference as well. Yeah, for sure. I don't even put a chair in my studio. I just am like, you're standing all the time and just <laughs> I just get comfortable with it so I can move. And it's really nice to be able yeah. to have that space. I think it helps a lot to get into the character to be able to move your arms around. And I talk with my hands a lot anyway. So the ability to actually be able to do that and not hit their microphone is pretty essential. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your voice sounds different when you're sitting down, you know, as you're kind of your chest is collapsed a little bit or kind of, you know, hunched over or whatever the case is. And when you stand up, your shoulders are back. You can hear a difference in your voice. So what are you working on now that you're allowed to talk about? I think I've got about 12 projects that I'm working on. Ones that I could talk about, uh, Looney Tunes cartoons, which just aired on HBO Max and doing the casting on that. I'm also doing casting and directing on Animaniacs for Warner Brothers, and I've done some pilots for them as well. I'm working on a show called The Cuphead Show for Netflix. Just kind of did a little sneak peek for Annecy. And then 
I've got a series and uh, four shorts at Cartoon Network that I'm working on. And then I've got a couple of apps that I'm doing the casting for. Some are audiobooks or kind of new takes on audiobooks. And then some I did a interactive kind of choose your own adventure audiobook type thing where the character does something and you get to, it's like a mystery and you get to decide, oh, should the character go in the study or go talk to the police officer, you know, whatever the case is. And it's voice activated. So you do it while you're driving. It's all voice commands and the, the app can hear you. And then you, you know, instruct the character where to go. So that was something unique and interesting. I was oh, casting. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> that sounds like really a lot of fun. It was. It, the script was like ridiculously long because it's a, like I said, it's a choose your own adventure. So it could go any different from brands or number of directions. Right. So like, you know, the script was long, long, long. You know, it was really cool. We brought to bring in a lot of different people, a lot of different fun actors uh, to work with on it. And that was really cool. And then I'm working on some stuff for a major streaming service a new show, and then um, some internal test pieces and stuff as well. And then I even did like some voiceover for the new product that's going to be coming to market that people, someone was doing a test piece. I do lots of weird voiceover stuff. So <laughs> I don't know. I do lots of stuff. So I've got my hand. It keeps me busy and people find me online and do you cast this? And I'm always like, sure. Yes, I do. Right. I always say yes. So yeah. trying all sorts of different types of things. That's great. I'm so happy to hear that you're keeping busy. That's really good. Do you have any well, upcoming you. appearances or workshops that you'd like to mention? Oh, well, nothing in person for the moment. Canceled all those. I mean, I've got my website where I try to keep that updated, which is sarahjanesherman.com. So I do have a few classes that I do online via Zoom and a couple intensives that I'm going to try to put together as well for day-long workshop people wanting to immerse themselves in the world of animation. Yeah, those are great classes and everyone should definitely take a look at what you have coming up so they can check it out and get signed up. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Should they just visit your website? Are you on social media? Definitely I'm on social media, and I try to answer, for the most part, everyone that posts something to me or reaches out. But my website is great, and yeah, social media for sure. Those are all good ways. Great. Well, I'll put that information in the show notes. And it's always great to catch up with you, Sarah. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. I wish you tons of continued success in everything you do. You too, Val. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me and chatting with me today. I'm so excited to be hosting and organizing our first fully online conference for Mid-Atlantic VoiceOver LLC. This great voiceover event will take place on November 6th through 8, 2020. And it will include over 18 hours of exclusive Mavo content with keynote speaker Eric Bauza and an extraordinarily talented lineup of guest speakers, including Uncle Roy Yokelson, Tom Deere, Johnny Heller, J. Michael Collins, Mike Lenz, Everett Oliver, and Mark Scott, just to name a few. You definitely won't want to miss this. And because it's online, you can attend from anywhere in the world without even leaving your house. How great is that? Don't delay. Register today to get your ticket at the best price available. Visit www.midatlanticvo.com for more details and to register today. I hope to see you there. Live is Squacky is mixed and mastered by everybody's favorite voiceover tech, Uncle Roy Yokelson of Antland Productions. Live is Squacky was recorded in front of an audience of acoustic foam. <laughs> And that's the end.